0: <laughs> I thought you were coming like right there. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Mustafa. <laughs> oh my God. I like the decoration. Very nice. That's yeah, nice, huh? These people are so nice. Look, they do these lights. All right. Bismillah. <laughs> Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And hamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Assalamu alaikum wa alihi wa sahbihi alaihi wasallam. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاه تنجينا بها من جميع الاهوال والافات تقضي لنا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيات وترفعنا بها عندك على الدرجات وتبلغنا بها اقصى من جميع Allahumma في وبعد الممات اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد من قلوب وجوائعها وعافيه ابداني Is that still okay? Okay. Bismillah. We are on hadith number 21. I would... I don't know if I should say this, but I'll try my best not to stray too far today so we can get through content. (laughs) But I just wonder if that's a false promise. I'll try. حديث number 21 بيس انا يريد قال حدثنا محمد بن اسماعيل قال حدثنا عبد الله بن صالح قال حدثنا <معاوي ابت> بن صالح عن يحيى بن سعيد عن رضي الله تعالى عنها ماذا كان يعمل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في <بيته> <قالت> كان <بشرا> من <البشر> يَفْلِي ثَوْبَهُ وَيَحْلُبُ شَاتَهُ وَيَخْدِمُ نَفْسَهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم Aisha رضي الله عنه was asked What did the Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi عليه وسلم, do around the house or do in his home? She replied, he was a man like other men It's an interesting expression actually It's an interesting expression actually because sometimes we think of what comes after in the rest of this hadith as an exception or some of some sorts, but she's saying, "Yeah, he did what other men would do, which is he would remove anything attached to his garments, and he would milk his goat, and he would serve himself." Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You could say that the general characteristic of the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Is that he would serve, he was the servant and not the served Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He was the servant and not the served Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So he would do what he needed to do If his clothes need something, they have clothes has something on it They need something taken off he'll fix his clothes If he needs to sew for something, he'll sew it If he needs to drink some milk, he'll milk the goat If he needs to do anything, he'll serve himself, he'll serve his family Whatever they need, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the time that he's in his home, in the time that he's in his home, he'll do that. Sallallahu Alaihi Wa I think this is good policy. You know, um, the the man should not be in the home like a um, like a king. The man should not be in the home like a king. As much as a man would like to be a king, he should not be in his home as a king. Doesn't mean that people shouldn't treat the husband right and the father right or something like that. That's not the point. The point is that he would do what he needs to do, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would, you know, if we are in a modern context, he'd probably wash the dishes, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if the house needs to be vacuumed, he'd vacuum the house. He'd do what people need to do for their family in order for their family to do whatever it does. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That shouldn't be like a strange thing. Uh, another point is that as a general rule, I don't know if you can take it from this hadith or not, but I feel that especially usually it's it's maybe I can make it broader than to just men. I think that people should be able to do for themselves the basic things that are needed in order for life to continue. So for example, Sometimes you'll find a man who says that he doesn't know how to cook anything. Like anything. To me, that's a problem. It's not meant to like blame anyone or something. Whatever. I mean, like, it doesn't mean the person has to be cooking like really extravagant meals or something. But the person should be able to, like, if I'm by myself, I can make some food and I can get by and I can wash what needs to get washed and clean what needs to be cleaned, so on and so forth. Same could apply for a woman on any number of different things, too. Like maybe there's things that uh, Are not normally Perhaps like Maybe in a certain family structure The husband has certain General responsibilities And the wife has certain General responsibilities Just because they don't fall Under your general responsibility Doesn't necessarily mean That you should know Nothing about it it's still useful To know certain things um, For example I think that it's common In many At least in my experience It's common in some Muslim households For the man to be financially responsible, and sometimes you see cases where the woman doesn't know anything about finances. She doesn't understand anything. Like, no idea how much goes into the monthly expenses, how much is needed, how do these things happen, what are like the basis of taxes and stuff like that. I don't think that's good, personally. It's not like a fatwa issue. I just think that it's not good. Uh, When when, uh, a person has no ability, for example, to find a job for themselves if they have to take care of themselves not necessarily good either you know uh, it creates an imbalance historically speaking is that imbalance okay like say for example historically there's no um, the woman doesn't necessarily maybe understand a lot of these things and maybe she doesn't even have like a way to take care of herself but she lives close to her family and her family supports her and her family knows those things and so on and so forth okay fine at least it's being made up with somehow but we have circumstances now where like a woman might be totally by herself. She has no family around, nobody around to help her if something happens, so on and so forth. And then if things happen, she's completely on her own. This is a problem. In any case, the Prophet wasallam would take care of himself. I feel like there's a little bit of feedback that's abnormal Maybe it's from the... Is there something? Anyways. Bismillah. Hadith number 22. Suleiman ibn Kharija narrated from his father about his grandfather. As you mentioned in the beginning, sometimes in the Shema'an you see two things. One thing you see is that the people, the Sahaba who are narrating the Hadith are family members of the Prophet ﷺ, which is really cool. The other thing you see in some of the chains of narration is that they're, the Hadith themselves are passed within a family. So Sulaiman ibn Kharija is narrating from his father who narrated from his grandfather, from his father. right? So this hadith now has been passed three generations in the family. Which is kind of a cool thing to see. A group of people went to see Zayd ibn Thabit. They said to him, Narrate to us some traditions about the Messenger of God. He said, What should I narrate to you? I was his neighbor. When revelation would descend upon him, he would send for me. And I would write it down for him. When we would speak about worldly matters, he would speak about them as well. When we would speak about the hereafter, he would speak about it with us. When we would speak about food, he would speak about it as well. I narrate all of this to you from the Messenger of God, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's an interesting report. So I was his neighbor. I used to sit with him all the time. What did we used to do? When we were his, I was his neighbor. We used to sit with him all the time. What did we used to do? We talk about this. He talk about food. He talk about food. Talk about uh, what did it say? Worldly matters, we talk about worldly matters He would talk about it We talk about the hereafter, he talks about the hereafter Sallallahu Alaihi And he says, I narrate this all to you About the messenger of God Sallallahu alayhi wa And I was his neighbor This is what they saw from him Something you see like I mentioned this before But I think it bears mentioning again a big part of the shema and then a big part of these narrations you see, is that they saw from the Prophet ﷺ how they were supposed to be. There's a huge disconnect in our uh, the way that we think about things now, is that we 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 don't look for that example, ﷺ. Like this was passed down; they saw it from him, so they knew how it was supposed to be. Like they sometimes when you read in books about manliness and stuff like that, they'll say the person learned how to be a man from a man. It wasn't like they read the book and the book gave them everything they needed to know and then they were good after that. It was like they saw it and then they knew. So they saw how the Prophet them dealt with different things, so they knew what to do. <laughs> it's... it's the 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 importance of suhbah cannot be overemphasized. The importance of suhbah cannot be overemphasized. <clears throat> and who gives us the the greatest example of this, the one that's really touching, is the example of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Radiallahu Anhu in the Hijrah. Like he really got it, you know. Of course, who I mean, even when you think about Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Omar, they were not like uh, what they call they were not the people who used to narrate a lot they weren't the ones that were known for that actually they, they, they carried it after him but they weren't like always teaching hadith there's not, nothing wrong with that of course but they understood something else and even they say for example about uh, Sayyidina Omar when Sayyidina Omar died I'll come back to Sayyidina Abu Bakr when Sayyidina Omar died عن, they say that nine tenths of knowledge was lost was it the narrations? Obviously, the narrations weren't lost, right? The narrations was there. The Quran was there. The Hadith was there. But something in the heart of Sayyidina Omar was lost. <laughs> it's, it's not there anymore, right? So Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiAllahu Anhu, when the hijra was happening, all the companions went to make hijra, and the Prophet ﷺ was waiting for permission to make hijra, and uh, Sayyidina Abu Bakr stayed behind, right? And he prepared, and so did Sayyidina Ali. And they stayed behind and they wanted to see, like maybe they can help in some sort of way, maybe there's some they can do. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr was preparing these camels, right? And he was feeding them special food, he was getting them ready, two camels, just in case they're able to go together. So when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi comes to him, he gets permission from Jibreel to make the hijrah. And he comes to Sayyidina Abu Bakr's house in the middle of the day, like in a time when people sleep. And uh, he came and he told him, you know, I've been given permission to make the hijrah, make this immigration. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr he, all he said was ya Rasulullah. See like he understood something. He said, ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that's his only question. <laughs> like, do I get to do I get to be with you? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi His answer is the same, he just said ya Abu Bakr? <laughs> like, And this this is the end of their conversation Like there's, there's nothing more to be said And we're just gonna go now And he knows like He's gonna travel with him He's gonna go places with him And they're gonna experience things And he doesn't have to know what all of those things are But he knows things are gonna happen in the journey And in that journey he's gonna see all these different miracles And all of these things are gonna happen And everything that they believe in Is gonna be even more real than it already is Because he's gonna be in the company of the Prophet Sallallahu they with so this is uh <coughs> I don't even know why I did that. His company. They're in his company. They they talk about what other people talk about. So we talk about this, we talk about that. Said so I was his neighbor. Used to see him all the time. Son of Lu'animos and. Salat wa salamu alayka sayyidi Rasulullah. Salatu wa alayka sayyidi Rasulullah. Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik anhi, reported: I served the Messenger of God sallallahu alaihi wasallam for ten years, and never once did he say to me, Oof, nor did he ever say to me, "If I did something, why did you do that?" or "To something I did not do, why did you not do that?" The Messenger of God sallallahu alaihi sallam was the best of people in character. I have never touched brocade or silk or anything else softer than the palms of the Messenger of God sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nor have I ever smelled musk or perfume as fragrant as the perspiration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This hadith, you know, is like one of the there's there's some hadith every single time you read them, you're just like, I don't how? You know, like ya Rasulullah, <laughs> like how? How did how? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I served him for ten years. He never once said to me, Oh never once said to me, "Was it for something I did, why did you do that? Or something I didn't do, why did you not do that? It's unbelievable. You know? And what is Ennis what's the story of Ennis well, on the same topic as I was just saying. The story of Ennis is that his mother gave birth to him and he grew up a little bit and she went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and she told him, This is Ennis he's your khadim. He's yours, basically like let him live with you, let him serve you, let him do whatever. He's just gonna be this is his school. We want him to go to school with you. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course it's a different system and stuff. But uh, You know, that's what they did. This is what this was his education. And look how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how was the education still? He didn't say Uf, he didn't say why didn't you do this? He didn't say why did you do that? And still Ennis learned everything he needed to know. He's from the great companions, Ennis ibn Malik's from the great companions and from the Muhammad. He lived a very long life, <coughs> And then at the end, I never smelled musk or perfume as fragrant as the perspiration of the Prophet, sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of the things that's interesting is as we get older, we start to um, question things, start to disbelieve in things. You know, like kids love superheroes. They love cartoons. They love all of this stuff. Why? Because there's like a hint of truth in all of these things. There's a small hint of truth in them. Like th- deep down inside, there's a there's a there's a leaning towards the idea of karamat, that there's miracles, that there's people who do miraculous things, that there's people who literally have superpowers in a sense, not in the sense of the the way that the character has it, but they have other superpowers. You know. And you have powers that exist In the unseen in a sense There's things that happen around us We don't know them You know Like I I try to think about And I try to remind myself that For example like Some cartoons you might see a character Where they go into like Some sort of super thing And they have like a protective shield around them Right? Nothing can hurt them And then when you read Ayatul Kursi in the morning Ayatul Kursi in the evening You put on your shield When you say Audu Billahi uh, three times in the morning and the evening You put on the shield All these different duas Those are from the sunnah And then there's all kinds of other ones That the, the ulama and the mashaykh Have talked about over the years You could say this, you can say that it Gives you different kinds of protections this is, there's, there's a reality to the I don't want to call it supernatural Because I don't think that's the right word. I think Dr. Jackson has a good word for this, but I can't remember what it was. Um, But there's a reality to these things. And there's a reality to... Why I'm saying this is because we get older, right? So yesterday, I gave... I, I I tried to do a little bit of an experiment. It didn't go very far, but I tried it. I gave my son a book, and I gave him the section on... Uh, basically like the Barakah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam It's a famous book uh, I forget what it's called in Arabic uh, Anyways it's by Shaykh Abdullah Sirajuddin, rahimahullah, From I believe Halab right? From Shain, from Halab And uh, he was a great muhaddith, And he has this book Imam Zayd taught it one year in, uh, One of these things And um, so there's a section at the end, it's actually a big section on the barakah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa What happened when he would touch people? What happened with this, this, what happened with that? So on and so forth. So I gave him the section, I was like, I want him to read it and see, like, what does he say? You know, like, is it, is it going to be the way that, like, modern people are? That you read the story, like, for example, he came across the hadith about the young person who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in his youth, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa put his hand on his head. And as this person aged, all of his hair went gray, but the spot that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam touched never changed color. Never changed color. right? So, like, we we read stuff like that, modern people now, we read stuff like that, and we get kind of like, mm, I don't know. Like, we want to take all the fun out of everything. These things are real. So the, the Prophet on them. He read it, he was like, I was like, so did you find anything you liked? He's like, yeah, I like that story about the guy. <laughs> Subhanallah. <laughs> so the, there was, he says, I never smelled any musk or perfume as fragrant as the perspiration of the Prophet they would send them." There's narrations. I forget who it was. It might have been Umhani or someone else. But the Prophet sallallahu would wa sallam, there was a woman from the companions. He would take a nap at her place sometimes. There's probably some story behind it. They're related somehow or something. He would take a nap at her house. And if he sweated, she would take the sweat afterwards and put it in a bottle and add it to her perfume. Because there was nothing that's more beautiful smelling than the smell of the Prophet wasallam. These are like well-established narrations. These aren't like weirdo things that some people passed around and then, you know, whatever. These are well-established narrations. So anyways, that's its own world. I don't have to go into it today. Hadith number 24, Aisha anha, reported, The Messenger of God wasallam, was neither lewd in disposition nor lewd in behavior, nor was he loud in the marketplaces. He did not respond to evil with evil, rather he pardoned and forgave. SubhanAllah, what a expansive and comprehensive and beautiful description. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. (laughs) لم يكن فاحشا ولا متفاحشا ولا سخابا في الأسواق ولا يجزي بالسيئة السيئة ولكن يعفو ويصفع. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
1: He was not lewd in
0: disposition, nor lewd in behavior. He was not fahishan wala mutafahishan. Sometimes you see this phenomenon in the Muslim community. Alhamdulillah, I think that it's becoming hopefully more and more taboo. But back in the days you used to see it. it was like, uh, you see, maybe I shouldn't say this. This is really, ah, eh, I already opened it. Uh, you would see like so-called religious men. Who, when they get by themselves, the only thing they'll talk about is women. Right? Not necessarily always in a bad way, but like borderline. You know? At least distasteful. It's at least distasteful. Um, but he, was—he, salallahu alayhi wa sallam, was not lewd in disposition nor lewd in behavior. There's no like, you know, uh, of course, locker room talk thing in American culture, that's an extreme version of this. But... You know, you find people who are like, they're they're religious or whatever, and then when they get with their friends, they want to talk about like, make second wife jokes and stuff like that. You're in adab. You have no karama. You have no ghairat. You have nothing. This is totally inappropriate. And uh, it reminds me of one of the statements that was attributed to Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al Shagouri, Rahimahullah, who said, "We never speak, We don't speak about women." Like he was a big sheikh, so we don't speak about women. We don't not in the sense like we're ignoring them. In the sense that we don't do that kind of stuff. Right? Um, and I remember subhanAllah, like in even in like the student of knowledge circles and stuff, you'll see this. Like people will be in a class and then like some topic will come up and someone will always make some dumb joke, right? And it used to be very upsetting. And I remember Subhanallah Allah Sheikh Shaykh Imad Allah. Shaykh Ahmad Efit we were in his class one time and this happened he was the only person subhanallah a lot of stuff you, uh, you don't always get what you're looking for <laughs> you know sometimes you're looking for for example a lot of times when we were trying to study you're looking for people of great knowledge and great practice and vast majority of the time we found people of great knowledge and very little practice that was the reality of it um you know, but subhanAllah Shaykh Imad Allah he uh, he we were in a class one time and someone did this and he shut him down. He told him don't speak like that in my class ever again. You shouldn't speak like this. You're a talib you're in a position you're like you should never open your mouth like this again. He really put him in his place, subhanAllah. And uh He didn't do these things, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's honor, there's dignity, there's a way to behave with honor and dignity. May Allah forgive us for our shortcomings. He wasn't loud in the marketplace. We've gone over Americans before. Americans are always loud in the marketplace. And he didn't respond to evil with evil. Rather, he forgave and he pardoned. Sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wasallam. What is the rule? If you, if you hear he forgave and he pardoned, and you start in your mind right now, your mind is going to some sort of extreme case. What is the rule that helps you understand the extreme case? I think we talked about it last week. What is the rule? Anyone remember? Yes. Hard cases make bad law. Hard cases make bad law. Hard cases make bad law. Say it to yourself over and over again. Hard cases make bad law. So you, you hear this, you say, oh, he used to pardon, he used to forgive. And then you're like, wait, but what about such and such? Hard cases make bad law. There are cases. Even the prophets, son them, there are cases. He did not forgive, son where they them, because sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can forgive. Sometimes you can't. There's a there's a right that's involved. There's this or that. May Allah help us. It's not easy. May Allah help us. Just giving. Uh, I make no claims to perfection in this regard or any other one. Hadith number twenty-five. I'm just reading the hadith and. You know, praying that Allah covers our sins and our mistakes and helps us to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Hadith number twenty five. Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha reported The Messenger of God Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never hit anything with his hand unless he was waging jihad in the way of God. He never hit a servant nor a woman. That one should speak on its own. You know this idea of like throwing the ba- throwing the baby out with the bathwater, an American, you know, say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of things in, in our religion. I feel like that sometimes we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because because the bathwater is just so gross, and uh, that's happens. You know, like there's a lot of people. That will use things in Islam, seemingly, or they'll, yeah, they'll use things that are seemingly in Islam, in order to justify their own ugliness. And that's just their own ugliness. If you gave them anything, they're gonna justify it. If they weren't Muslim, they justify it with something else. They're gonna use anything they can to justify it because the ugliness is there. The ugliness is gonna find something ugly to justify. So they're gonna use whatever they can. So, you know, people will say, Oh, this and that and I'm just <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what kind of stupid things people say. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi them? never hit anything with his hand unless he was waging jihad in the way of God. He never hit a servant nor a messenger. Sallallahu I mean nor a servant or a woman. Sallallahu Allah. stands on its own. Hadith number twenty six. I never saw the messenger of God Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam take revenge for a personal injustice done against him, as long as the sanctities of God were not violated. If any of God's sanctities were violated, he would be the angriest of people for that. He was never put in the position to choose between two things except that he chose the easiest, unless that choice entailed sin. Unless that choice entailed sin. Oh man. So there's a short commentary on this, and there's a long one. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, first and foremost, it's not personal. If he's standing up for something, it's not personal. Sallallahu He's angry. He's not angry for himself. He's angry for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That there's a rule here. There's a principle here. There's a concept here that is worth being upset about, and I'm going to be upset about it. And uh, it's not about me. And there's an interesting hadith actually in this regard. Uh, how does it go? I want to say it's something like, "Men amara lillahi wa very, you know, it's not just one side. We talk about in the majlis all the time, like, you know, mercy and kindness and all of the nice things. It's not always the nice things. Sometimes there's things you have to be upset about. He said sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the one who commands for Allah. And forbids for no, it's not commands. Wa mana'a wa wa lillah, the one who gives for the sake of Allah and holds back for the sake of Allah. And the one who loves for the sake of Allah and hates for the sake of Allah, then their Iman is complete. Their Iman is complete. But there, sometimes there's things you have to be upset about. <inaudible> sometimes he was upset for that. He wouldn't nothing would calm that until it was taken care of. And he was never put in the position between, to choose between two things, except that he chose the easiest. Unless that choice entailed sin. Um, so what is that saying? That's saying that now you have choices that are within the realm of what is acceptable. Okay not necessarily what is required or what is prohibited but in the realm of what is acceptable and he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would take the easier of the two he's not going to make life difficult for no reason it's not going to make life difficult for no reason sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. this has been used in kind of like the modern discourse as a reason to take the easier position on every single fiqh issue so, you know, the fifth issue comes up, the Prophet would take the easier of the two opinions, as long as there was no sin. We'll leave that for a fifth class. But uh, it's not my impression from my limited studies that that's the way that this was understood historically. Um, but in any case, if I have two choices, like... Uh, and this is actually like on a community level sometimes this is very important too as a concept now let's take it out of the fiqh take it into the practical in the practical there's times where this happens right on a community setting sometimes there's an easy way to do something and there's a hard way to do something and people really like to do the hard way sometimes for whatever reason makes them feel good or whatever oftentimes what happens is you do the hard way too many times you don't have any stamina anymore so like it's sometimes good. It's good to figure out like okay, this is the easier way to do it. This is the harder way to do it. For example, I'll give you an example. One of the community members, Allah bless him and increase him or her, whoever it was, uh, tried to figure out how to do the lights. How do we do the lights in a way that takes less time? That's a little bit easier, so on. The first iteration was to use uh, like Velcro straps. Which was a really good idea. You know, you get these little Velcro straps, you put them around. But what you find when you do that a couple of times is that it's a little bit hard to like take the Velcro and hold it and then it gets stuck and then you have to open it and then you have to wrap it around and like it's still not as easy as it could possibly be. Right? So that mashallah, this time this individual, I noticed that they came and they had these clip things. Right? It's a very easy, simple solution. Saves, does it save a whole lot? Yes and no. It doesn't make that big of a difference, but it makes enough of a difference that you're not probably going to be as annoyed doing it the 10th or 15th time. First time, everyone's happy. Yeah, I'm volunteering, alhamdulillah, like I'm happy to help, so on and so forth. Three months later, six months later, two years later, five years later, they're not doing that anymore, right? They're irritated about the Velcro, and they're like, how come you're saying the same stuff again? And so on and so forth. So, simple thing, but the easier one. Hadith number 27. Hassan ibn Ali reported. We're coming to another Hassan ibn Ali narration. Remember the last couple that are really involved? So, Hassan ibn Ali reported. Hussein said, I asked my father about the conduct of the Prophet towards those in his gatherings. There's a statement that some, some of the people of spirituality they say Say that the one who <clears throat> directed you towards your deeds أتعبك, They made you tired, they exhausted you And the one who directed you to Allah And they gave you a break and they made things easy for you I'm saying this because sometimes you read the hadith of the Prophet like I read the hadith of I'm going to read this hadith when I read this hadith I feel I feel like the earth should just swallow me like I'm here sitting on this chair these miskeen people are listening to me and I'm going to read this hadith and I feel like the earth should just swallow me and I should disappear and never exist again because you read it and you think about yourself. Like I do this and I do this and I don't do that and I don't do that and I don't do that and I don't do that. And this is all the, this is all the description of the Prophet Wasallam towards the people in his majlis. But then you just have to remind yourself that as long as it's about me then it's never going to be anything. It's only about Allah. And about the Prophet them, and about the amazing people that passed away who connect us to the Prophet them, the living in the past. And if it wasn't for them, then there's nothing to lean upon. That's why it's our senad. That's why there's a senad in learning. It's something you lean upon. If you're just leaning, if you're standing for yourself, you're going to fall. You can't do it. Hussein said, I asked my father about the conduct of the Prophet them towards those in his gatherings. He said the Prophet them always had a cheerful countenance. He had an easygoing character and an easygoing disposition. He was neither harsh nor coarse nor obnoxious nor lewd in behavior. Nor was he a fault finder nor unyielding. He would overlook things he disliked and would not cause others who desired them to despair of them. He would simply avoid partaking in, of them. This is an incredible description. I should think about it for a second. I'll say it again. He would overlook things he disliked and would not cause others who desired them to despair of them. He would simply avoid partaking of them. So say for example, you go to the coffee stand. It's a very common American, like normal cultural thing. People will do this. You go to the coffee stand Yusuf is going to serve you Allah reward him And increase him And protect him And give him all good And he's going to ask you Okay in your coffee Do you want the pumpkin spice Or do you want the What else is over there White mocha or something White mocha And you'll say Someone will say You go together with someone else They say I want the pumpkin spice And you're like Ew you like pumpkin spice That's gross Why? Why do you have to say that? (laughs) <laughs> like, he's, he's the Prophet so no, them. What would he say? Nothing. If he didn't like the pumpkin spice, he would say nothing. He would not take the pumpkin spice and he would not make someone who likes the pumpkin spice feel bad about liking the pumpkin spice. Why? Because why would you do that? There's no actual reason to do that. Right? Other than habit and like this is what people do and so on and so forth. But this is the, this is the, this is what character is. You know, like, We've, we've lost sight of this in American culture and everywhere now. That, like Character is real. There are people who have really good character. Most of it is the iceberg that's under the water. You're not seeing it. You don't know how much it's affecting you. You're not seeing it. You, would you see this? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam doesn't like the pumpkin spice. He doesn't tell you. Did you see it? You wouldn't know. Unless you were like really paying attention you really knew him and you're able to give us this description, Maybe. But the average person doesn't know. And all of these good things are happening to them in all of these different circumstances, and nobody knows. right? This is what character is. It's, it show. It's not putting it in someone's face. It's there and it's affecting people. They don't even realize it's affecting them. He would overlook things he disliked and would not cause others who desired them to despair of them. He would simply avoid partaking of them. He forsook three things for himself. Disputation, excessiveness, and matters that did not concern him. He forsook three things with respect to people. He would not disgrace anyone, he would not find fault with anyone, and he would not pry into the private affairs of others. Which one?
1: The last, the last. Both
0: threes? Okay. He forsook three things for himself. Disputation, excessiveness, and matters that did not concern him. He forsook three things with respect to people. He would not disgrace anyone. He would not find fault with anyone. And he would not pry into the private affairs of others. Now, you know, we always say, you always talk about Hadith Jibreel and how the different disciplines of Islamic studies, they influence each other. Okay? So, so I'm going to read this. And if you don't study Fiqh properly, what one of the things Fiqh teaches you, okay? It's a very important thing. It teaches you what is an appropriate conclusion from this piece of information? What can I conclude with high levels of certainty? What can I co- conclude with low levels of certainty? What can I not conclude from this? What would the exception to this be? These are the things you learn in FIP. Like, okay, this is the general These are the exceptions to the rule, so on and so forth. Why am I saying this? Because people often read these things, and they take it in the wrong way. So, for example, it says, He would not pry into the private affairs of others. So someone, maybe someone finds out, they're not prying into the private affairs of someone else. They find out for example let's give an let's give a horrible example. It's the first one that comes to mind. I think someone told this to me before. I think that's why it's coming to mind. I'm not saying this is right, but if someone physically abuses their child in their home. This is wrong, okay? Everyone just make sure everyone's on the same page. It's wrong. But you have you can't go into their home and figure that out. Okay? Someone drinks alcohol in their home. Even in an Islamic State, you don't go into their home and figure out like oh they have alcohol there and get involved and stuff. What they do in their home is their private space. If it leaks out into the public, it's different. So, so, so you go to the masjid, inshallah, it never happens to anyone. But this was actually not, I remember now. It was a story brother told me. They go to the masjid, and you find someone is hitting their kid in the car. Okay? Is it now their private affair? Can they come to you and be like, this is, why are you prying into my private affairs? No, it's a very simple answer. You made your private affairs... My public business and now I'm obligated by the Sharia to stop you. It's your fault. <laughs> if you didn't want me to get involved, you shouldn't have done it in public. Okay? So this is what I'm trying to say is people will take these things and they understand that they make the wrong conclusions from them. Right? So it's not necessarily even the case. For example, someone might know something about someone's private affairs, not because they were digging into the person's private affairs, but because it was brought to them. Maybe they were trying to, someone wanted them to intervene, someone wanted them to get, you know, whatever it might be. So any number of reasons for it, right? Do they want to be involved in that? Probably not. And then they were told something that now they have to be involved. Okay? It's like, not always what you want, but it, it happens that way. You understand the point I'm trying to make? Okay. He would not speak except regarding things for which he hoped reward. And when he would speak, those sitting in his company would lower their heads and be so still, it was as if birds were perched atop their heads. Only after he would stop talking would they speak. They would not dispute with one another when they would speak in his presence. They would listen attentively to anyone who spoke in his presence until that person was finished. Their conversation with the Prophet ﷺ would be based on the first of them to come and speak. Okay, so whoever comes first, they have the right. This sometimes becomes hard in, like, for teachers and stuff, this becomes hard in gatherings, right? Because sometimes you finish and someone wants to talk to you. So they come and talk to you. Someone else maybe is waiting. But that person already came and talked to you. They're the first one that came, you listen to them. When they finish, they finish. If the other person leaves, the other person leaves, what can you do? Right? It's, it's a tough thing to balance uh, Their conversation with the Prophet Would be based on the first of them to come and speak He would laugh at what they would laugh at And would express amazement at what they expressed amazement at He would be patient with the crude speech And request of strangers So his companions would bring them to the Prophet is an interesting thing right? So when people would come and speak in a way That's not really polite or appropriate or anything The Prophet would be patient his companions that are with him, they're not gonna do that. Right? Like the ones who are with him every single day, they learn from him, they spend time with him, they live with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they're not gonna act like that. But sometimes someone else would come and they act a little bit crazy. And they would bring that they, they would bring those people to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because they know like they're gonna ask things that they wouldn't ask, they're gonna they're gonna learn things from that interaction that they wouldn't be able to learn otherwise. Um okay. And this is part of hikmah, right? They know also like who knows best how to deal with the situation. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi knows how best to deal with it. So how are we going to learn hikmah? We're going to take the him And how do we learn wisdom? We take the tough situation to the person who has wisdom and we watch how he deals with it. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's actually, SubhanAllah, really amazing. Not everything can be explained. You know, this is also something in Islamic work is really important. Community work and stuff. Not everything can be explained. Not everything subjugates itself to very clear rules. You know, people read, um, what's that book? The E-Myth Revisited or something like that, about entrepreneurship. And like they read about franchises and they know about franchises and the way they work and how important it was for their business to like specify everything so that why, so that you go and you know you're gonna get the same thing. Yeah, but you're always, generally speaking in a franchise, you're gonna get the same thing that you expected to get but it's never gonna be awesome. <laughs> it's very rare. It's it's good. It's not like good enough that you're happy. But the really good things is gonna be like the guy you go to them or the lady you go to them, and they really are like they're doing their own thing with their craft. You know, you see this with street food sometimes, subhanallah. When you go in like the Muslim lands and stuff, you might go and like see the way the random guy makes Tamiya in the street in Egypt. It wasn't like there's a manual that says, "Look, when you make tamia, you do this and you do that, and then you put it this way." You don't. You're not going to see that. You're going to see this guy. He's going to have like his own flair for how you do it. He's going to come and he's going to like flick the falafel in a certain way, and he's going to check the hotness of the oil. He's going to know every. Like he's going to have his own way of doing it, right? The Arabs they say, "Arson, hakimun walatu wasi." This is an important one. hakimun walatu wasi. Send someone who's wise. And don't tell them what to do. That's it. Like, I don't want to tell you everything. Like, just go and do that thing. You figure it out. Handle it. Get back to me afterwards. Let us know what the situation is. But that's like, you want, that's, those are the kind of people you want. You know? People like you. I don't have to worry about giving a bunch of instructions. This is what we need to do. Go ahead and handle it. And we have to develop that over time. It doesn't just come.
1: He would say, sallallahu
0: alayhi wa if you see a person seeking fulfillment of a need, then help him. He would not accept praise except from one who was responding to a favor given. He would not interrupt a person while he was speaking unless the person went too far. In that case, he would stop him by either prohibiting the person or getting up to leave, sallallahu So it wasn't that there weren't limits. If someone went too far, he's gonna stop them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or he gets up and leaves. Up leaves. There were some brothers that I was in college with, they were really good about this. SubhanAllah, kind of they were really good about it. They'd be in gatherings with the guys and like just hanging out. And this one brother, he would just always get up and leave. they <laughs> are like, wow, he, just, like he left again. <laughs> and you, you realize, like, okay, what are people talking about? They're talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. You just get up and leave. It's like, oh, brother so and so, he's so arrogant. Uh, brother so-and-so is following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa sallam. What you're talking about is inappropriate. He got up and left. Hadith number 28. Muhammad ibn al reported, I heard Jabir ibn Abdullah say, Never was the messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked for something to which he said no. How do you even, how do you do that? Ma Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam shay'an qat faqala la. He never said no, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like so This is again like we have to think outside the box a little bit Does that mean he did everything That everyone asked him to do? No There's a whole lot of different things you can do Other than saying no Right Our our modern (laughs) A modern Muslim one would be To say what? Inshallah Inshallah. (laughs) Say inshallah You know it's not going to happen Hadith number 29, Zayd ibn Aslam on the authority of his, prof, uh, authority of his father reported, Omar ibn Khattab once spoke of a man who came to the Prophet sallallahu and asked that he give him some wealth. It's a beautiful hadith. I have to move. It's a beautiful hadith. Uh, a man came to the Prophet sallallahu and asked that he give him some wealth. To which the Prophet sallallahu said, here's an example actually, subhanAllah. Here's an example. To which the Prophet sallallahu said, I have nothing. But go and purchase in my name, and when something comes to me, I'll pay its price on your behalf. So the guy's asking him, he's like, I don't have anything. Sallallahu Alaihi was something like literally he doesn't have anything. So I don't have anything. But go to so and so, buy whatever it is you need, tell them to put it in my name, and when I get something, I'll pay off your debt. Sallallahu Alaihi Walla someone. I'm just amazing. Upon hearing this, Omar said, O Messenger of God, you have already given him God has not imposed upon you what you cannot do. It's really amazing, right? Think about it. I mean, You see, like, that's one of the responses, right? Like, a normal response would be like, you didn't have anything. You didn't have to do that. Right? Like, I don't have anything. I can't do that. I don't have to do that. But the Prophet Sallallahu Allah, why there was some disliked what Omar said. He didn't say anything. In the narration, at least he didn't tell us that he said anything. They could just tell that he didn't like what he said. Then a man from the helpers proclaimed, a man from the Ansar, he said, Spend, O Messenger of God, and do not fear a reduction of wealth from the Master of the Throne. Meaning Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, right? He said, Spend, O Messenger of God, and don't worry, don't fear a reduction from the Master of the throne. The Prophet then smiled, and his happiness with the helper's statement was visible on his face, and he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is what I have been commanded. So Omar told him, "You don't have to give him that. You weren't you weren't commanded to do that." And the Prophet stayed quiet. And then when the companion says this, he said, "That's what I was commanded to do." He just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. Subhanallah, wa Wasallam. Like he's not going to be. And This is you know, uh, maybe a side tangent, very short. Self care is important. Make sure that your self care imp- includes Allah. Somehow. But if your self-care doesn't include Allah, then it really is self-care. You know, it has to include a lot. Nefs care. It's nefs care. it doesn't include a lot, it's nefs care. Because you didn't catch the what I was saying. Uh the Prophet وسلم, is give and, give and 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 give where does he get filled up from? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not saying necessarily all of us should do the same thing exactly the way the Prophet ﷺ did it, right? Different companions did it in different ways. But the point is, should include Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hadith 30. Prophet reported, I heard Abu Sa'id al-Khudri report. He ﷺ, some people are uncomfortable with this hadith now. Just try to understand what's being said. He ﷺ was shyer than a virgin in her quarters. When he would dislike something, we would know it from his face. Okay, so it's like someone who's been very isolated Someone who's not been exposed to a lot of things in life And they have a shyness to them And the Prophet ﷺ was shyer than that This is a good quality To be shy is a good quality For men too, by the way It's not just a woman quality For men too, men should have a level of haya Level of modesty Of course there's modesty in front of Allah I'm talking about modesty in front of people now Also in front of people, men should have this too uh, There's a hadith where the Prophet them passed by two people One of them was blaming the other one ibuhu fin hayat, And he was blaming him about being too shy And the Prophet ﷺ told him Leave him alone because shyness is from iman It's from the deen You're supposed to have them When is the shyness a problem? It's a problem when it prohibits the person from doing what they need to do. Then it's a problem. So like that shyness now stops the person from saying something when they need to say something, stops them from taking on the responsibility that they need to take on, whatever else it might be, then it's a problem. But if like a guy is shy, that's good. And we shouldn't be like, oh, you know. And don't be silly about things too. Like a, a guy can be very shy and still be very strong. We again, we have to really like begin to un, uh, like I was saying about fiqh. Part of what fiqh does, it unpacks things. It like takes them and shows you. Okay, there's this piece, there's that piece. You understand properly. Someone could be very shy and be very strong. Someone could be very shy and be very brave. You know, it's definitely not going to be the guy who's talking a lot. That's going to be brave. Usually, that's the last person. Actually, that was my introduction to the Art of Manliness website. Excellent website. It was about the Egyptian revolution. They had an article about how one of the things that they learned about manliness from the Egyptian revolution was that the ones who talk too much are not usually the ones who are showing up <laughs> when it goes down. The knows. <laughs> yeah. Allah protect us. Those were interesting days. Muhammad ibn Jubair ibn Mut'im on the authority of his father who reported the messenger of God wasallam, said, I have several names. I am Muhammad, the oft-praised. I am Ahmed, the most praised, most praising. I am the obliterator by whom God obliterates disbelief. I am the gatherer, the hashir, at whose feet humankind shall gather. I am the final, Al Aqib. The final is the one after whom there is no Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi wasallam. He has these different names. Uh, and he said beautiful you know, whenever I think about the name Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa I think about the 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 incident where they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, so and so, they're saying this about you and they're saying this about you. They were calling him Mudhamman, right? They were calling him the one who's blameworthy and the one who's whatever. And they came to the Prophet, they're like, they're saying that you're Mudhamman and you're this and you're this and you're this. And he's like, no, they're saying all those things about Mudhamman. They're not saying that I'm, I'm Muhammad <laughs> Like They're not talking about me. It's like the, the statement that... Uh, like the same God that the atheist disbelieves in, usually we also disbelieve in. To think about it for a second. The same God that the atheist disbelieves in, usually I disbelieve in. They disbelieve in a God that has some sort of like man in the sky type stuff or some sort of inability or some sort of this or some sort of that. I don't believe in that God either. We, in fact, we both disbelieve in the same not God that you think is God. So, uh, he's Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Hadith number 32 Before I forget Because I already forgot three times so far in this session Next week starts at 5pm Next week is the special program I forget what it was called But uh, We have some guests Wafa is with us And um, Uh Uh My mind is gone right now Dr. Salman is with us And others, inshallah Uh, It's going to be like a special program Starts at 5 I didn't even know My wife sent me a message She was like Remind them it starts at 5 next week I was like Oh, subhanAllah (laughs) It starts at 5 next week To be here A little bit earlier So 5 o'clock next week Inshallah Abu Huraira reported The Messenger of God Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Came out when he would not Usually come out Okay, so before I read this, I don't want to comment on this one too much. There's a story at the end of this that involves slaves. Usually we leave all of these things out. I put it here because I want you to think about the idea. Like what happened at the end of it here, which is actually really amazing when you think about it. The Messenger of God wasallam, came out when he would not usually come out and at a time when he would not usually meet others. Abu Bakr came out to him and the Prophet asked, What brings you out, Abu Bakr? He replied, I've come out to meet the Messenger of God and look upon his face and greet him with the greetings of peace. Shortly thereafter, Umar came out and he asked him, What brings you out, Umar? Umar replied, Hunger, O Messenger of God. The Prophet وسلم, said, I too am experiencing some of that. They set out to the house of Abu Haythan ibn Abi Tayyahan al-Ansari, who was a man who owned many date palm trees and sheep but who did not have any servants. They did not find him, so they asked his wife, where is your husband? She replied, he went out to get us some water. A short while later, Abu al-Haytham returned with a water skin filled with water. Imagine, every time you want water, you have to go get it. Like, subhanAllah, you drink the coffee, you have to go get it. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> ya Rabbinaka alhamdulillah. Ya Rabbinaka alhamdulillah. He placed it down and went to embrace the Messenger of God, sallallahu He returned with the water, He put it down and went to embrace the Messenger of God and said, May my father and mother be sacrificed for you. He's excited, he's got good guests. Then he escorted them to his orchard and laid out a carpet for them. He went over to a date palm tree and returned with a branch with a cluster of dates on it. He placed it in front of them. The Messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Will you not pick out for us some of its fresh dates? Abu al-Haytham said, O Messenger of God, I wish that you would pick for yourselves from the ripe and unripe dates. Said, why don't you give us some? He said, I want you to pick your own, whatever you like, you know. They began to eat and drink from the water. Then he said, The Prophet, by the one in whose hand is my soul, all of these cool shade, fine ripe dates, and cool water are from the bounties that you will be asked about on the day of resurrection. And SubhanAllah, imagine, like this is that scary. Dumma <laughs> letusalunnayoma This is the na'im that you're going to be asked about. Some shade, a little bit of water, and some dates. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu haytham then went to prepare some food for them. The Prophet said, do not slaughter for us a milk sheep. So instead he slaughtered for them a four-month-old she-goat. He brought it to them and they ate. Then he asked him, do you have a servant? No, replied Abu al-Haytham. He said, "When when we receive some captives, come see us. This is the slavery part. Two captives were brought to the Prophet ﷺ and so Ibn Haytham went to see him. The Prophet said, pick one. And he said, pick one for me. And he said, the one if you're asking, the one for whom counsel is sought is put in a position of trust. So if you're asking me, now I have a manna to tell you. It's important. You ask, now I have to tell you the truth. He said, I, I think you should choose this person because the, he prays and you should treat him well. He said at the end of it, treat him well. About the slave. Abul Haytham went to his wife and informed her that the, what the Messenger of God had said. His wife replied, You won't be able to fulfill the right that the Prophet instructed regarding him unless you set him free. So she said, The Prophet told you to treat this person well, and you can't do that unless you free him. So he said, Then he is free. <laughs> and the Prophet them said, God has not sent a prophet or a vicegerent except that he has two advisors. It's a very important thing actually he's saying at the end that he has two advisors, one advisor enjoining him to good and forbidding him from evil, and another advisor that does not spare any effort to corrupt him. Verily, whoever is protected from an evil advisor is surely granted protection. We have a lot of things that we have to choose in life. Sometimes we take, we have, always there's going to be people who give good advice, there's going to be people who give bad advice. And whoever has been protected from the evil of the bad advisor, then they have been protected uh, they, they've been given a good portion They've been given a good portion So we'll stop on hadith number 33 I don't know how this is gonna work I guess we'll just finish one week after Because next week we're not gonna do this So we'll probably finish the week after that And then after that we'll move on to the next thing Inshallah Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Wa ala wa wa sallam Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alamin. Any questions or comments or anything? Anyone wants to raise?
1: Chief.
0: Yes. Okay. Go ahead.
1: Um, when you were talking about shyness in regards to speaking up on the right thing, how do you go about doing that when you're in the presence of authority? Like as a chef or a parent or something who isn't necessarily speaking correct or what's right? With yourself,
0: you feel shyness when you interact with the person out of respect. Okay, so let's take a sheikh as an example. Okay, so you're, you need to speak up in front of a sheikh and say something, but you feel shy out of respect for them, and so on and so forth. <coughs> It's difficult Okay, so first and foremost It's difficult It is I have to acknowledge that in the beginning Um, Some people, mashallah, they really Like, I have to give credit to my wife Allah protect her She's really good about this Um, Like, people that she really, really looks up to they might say something and she feels like maybe it wasn't the best thing and she'll tell them and I'm like man you're sincere like that takes some sincerity you know you really have to say like why am I doing this why is it important so you tell yourself all those things and then you go and say what needs to be said you know? not in a way that's impolite or anything else you know and then you, because you want what's best and you want good for them and for the people. And especially if it's something that's kind of like. It's actually not respectful. Right? Like deep, deep down inside, it's not respectful. Maybe someone's making a mistake. Take a sheikh out of it, Take it make it someone else. It's easier, right? And uh, you respect them, you love them, so on and so forth. So you find it hard to say something. But really then you're letting them lead themselves to their own punishment. And that's not good either, right? You know, really sometimes, subhanAllah, you see from the companions' incidents and you're like, man, they really understood. You know, like the incident in Badr, where the Prophet to them, took the army and they stopped behind the wells And the companion told the Prophet ﷺ, they said, Ya Rasulullah, did you stop here out of the strategy of war? Or did you stop here out of revelation? And the Prophet ﷺ told him, I stopped here out of the strategy of war. He said, if it's out of strategy of war, then I suggest that we stop actually in front of the wells, so that we can control the water source. And it'll be a better position for us And so on and so forth And he explained his position And they did that So, you know, sometimes Sometimes it's useful Not everything's the same Some things are very clear Kind of you need to say something Sometimes you don't understand Why they did something they did Sometimes you need to ask A clarifying question Why did you do that? Is there a reason why you did that? So on and so forth Sometimes, but, you know Oftentimes people just need your advice We need each other's advice. This is the danger also of becoming too, like... When advice is given in a really rude and disrespectful way, then the response to that is that you don't want to hear anything from anyone. And the nefs in the first place doesn't want to hear anything from anyone. So when you combine the two, then it's a really bad scenario, right? But we need advice from each other. So... So. I wanted you to elaborate more on the, the sentence you said the one who directed you towards your knees faqad al the one who directed you towards Allah faqad for, al for me, uh, at least we've been struggling with some things and you don't try to bang it with the hammer for a long time it just doesn't work and sometimes you take a completely different approach and you find these things align naturally and you're able to get rid of bad things in your, yourself so what, what you were trying to say with what you just said yeah in some ways what you just said is is an extension of that why? because when you're focused on yourself and what you're doing you keep, trying, you keep trying 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 even if you're banging your head on the wall over and over and over and over again eventually you try something else and it works right? so what happened? initially you were focusing on yourself but then When you detach from your own personal action, you're not as committed to it. You're willing to try something else, then it works. Um, But generally, you know, like, there is nothing without Allah. Even in like spirituality, a lot of times you'll see people they want to become better spiritually. So what they do is they make their checklist Which is nothing like in and of itself There's not necessarily something wrong with it Say like I want to do more sunnah I want to pray in the night I want to do this, I want to do that And then they just do their checklist But what happens is their checklist sometimes becomes like Another barrier between them and God It doesn't become about God anymore It becomes about their checklist And so like The reality of the whole thing is to It is All of it is about Allah Whatever it is The easy of it, the difficulty of it the, the, the thing that you like to do, the thing that you don't like to do All of it is about Allah And if I put it there Then I, you know I, it's It's not that it becomes easy It's that there's a level of comfort in that you know, like I said, I'm going to read the hadith And like the hadith is going to make me feel like I can never do this Because like Read that a hundred times And a hundred times said Okay, well you should really do that <laughs> And tried But it doesn't happen You know, like I turn it over to Allah Allah is aware of his servants Allah sees his servants So anytime Like and it's, so it's okay to say like You should do this, you should do that This extra thing, it might be beneficial for you So on and so forth As long as you don't take Allah out of it If you take Allah out of it Then it's just going to be a lot of headache and tiredness If you keep Allah in it Then it's fine I pray to Stikharah, I feel like I should do this mission. Then you do it Or I pray to And I don't feel like I should do this Okay, now I have to do something else um, what are Anyone else have anything? Yes, 5 o'clock next week. 5 o'clock next week. Yes. How many, uh, if you
2: could just commenting, I feel like just give get a little bit more elucidation on the fact that um, someone got their son to the hospital Summit in, a, in his surgery. Yes. And how. Because I've heard that uh, and I've read it before. um, How could that be implemented in today's world? And where, you know, some people just kind of leave families and just go with, you know, different views.
0: Yeah. Well. In
2: light of, you know, in light of family.
0: Yeah. Shaykh, could I request you frame the question for us? I only couldn't hear you because of the, the basketball. basketball, yeah. So the question was around Sayyidina uh, Anas and how the Prophet how his mother left him with the Prophet said he's your servant, you know, he'll do whatever. Like how can we understand that in society today? And sometimes people will like go to be with the Shaykh but they leave their family and like how how can we think about all these things? First and foremost we should remember, I think, that this is the Prophet Wasallam, number one. Number two is, like for, I don't know if it's much of an, like the city of the Prophet ﷺ, like I've said before, when you go to Medina and you have the gates around the Masjid Nabwi. those gates, that was the city of the Prophet Wasallam. There's no public transportation There's no cars There's no Like If you live in the city of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa sallam You live walking distance to the Prophet Very easily You live walking distance to the marketplace Where everyone is going to for work You know where the fields are That people go to work in agriculture You're going for the five daily prayers In the masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu wa sallam With the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa so when you go to the prophet and you say, "This is my son, he's your servant, let him be with you," you're seeing him all the time. <laughs> okay, so first, like, it's not like she sent her son somewhere and she's never going to see him again. She's seeing her son all the time, right? That being said, I know like a great sheikh who, I found out recently, he sent his son to live with someone else. The son is not very old, from what I recall. So old enough that he's studying and stuff So there was a sheikh that he knows in some other place He sent his son to go live with the sheikh and study And like he'll go visit every so often and stuff Yeah, if you're going to do this Be very, very careful That's all I would say Be very, very careful Don't do it on a whim Don't do it on, you know, whatever Be very, very careful And, you know, know what you're doing Um I know someone locally in our community in Southern California. Uh, the father now has passed away, Alayhi Rahma. But when his son was young, he took him to one of the local sheikhs and told him, "I want you to raise my son." And and the father was a, like a, but as far as we know, Allah have mercy on him, a really good person. But he's him, like. I want him to memorize the Quran with you. I want him to learn with you. I want him to live with you. And he took him to him, and he he, he took him in. He was like a young, he was young too. The sheikh was young. He was married. They Didn't have any children yet, I think, at that time. And he took him in, and like they raised the kid. They were local still. You know, they see him and stuff like that. I just think whatever. If someone's going to do this, this is a very exceptional thing. It's a very exceptional thing. Uh, I think one thing too about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that's important And and the reality of those societies that's different than ours It's hard to hide in the society of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And I don't mean that in the sense of like you're disappearing I mean that in the sense of like who you, it's hard to hide who you are Sheikh Hamza Yusuf wrote something beautiful about this in regards to Sheikh Murabut al hajj Allah Allah yal-hamu. You can probably find it online somewhere. And and about like their community in Mauritania and the way that like you live in a tent and like your whole life is outside basically. <laughs> like everyone sees you all the time. So there's no their public and private is all mixed. So it's not like someone can show themselves one way in public and then they're totally different in private. And the society of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is like that. They don't have a front door, they have a curtain. Even like it's not a door, it's just a curtain. They, <laughs> they, they they're praying and they, they pull back the curtain. They see the they see the Prophet. You know, like there's a it's it's very difficult to hide. So I think that one of the challenges with our, our societies now is like like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was there in front of the people every single day. You knew exactly who he was, sallallahu was in there even for like ourselves we're we're public figures quote unquote. but how much are we really in the public you know what I mean like (laughs) we're not accustomed to that it's not the way our life is it's not so on and so forth even some of the big shaykhs even now by the way they're they're a lot more public actually because their home is always open anyone come to the person's home all the time there's people in the person's home even uh, you can listen to interviews of Shaykh al-Husri rahimahullah his daughter says that about him she says, our home was a home. We were feeding people all the time. And the lady's like, well, didn't that make you tired? And so on and so forth. She was like, no, we loved it. This was our life. This is what we did. Fadiyat al-Shaykh al-Walid. You know, like our, my respected father, the Shaykh, he had guests. And we loved to treat his guests. We loved to honor his guests and so on and so forth. He was the great reciter of the Quran. And like people are coming to his house all the time. Some people had special chairs in his house. Shaykh Shabtut, for example. him Allah, was one of the Shaykh al-Azhar. He had a special chair In Sheikh An-Husri's house like, you know? So people will come all the time Open door policy When you know people like that It's different You really know them you know? So, long them. Those are just some thoughts Yes I have kind of like an off topic question Welcome Jenna. Okay, So you know Tahajid You sleep and then you wake up and pray So what if you just
2: sleep late
0: By definition, it's not technically tahajjud Tahajjud is, by definition, prayer after sleep But is it prayer in the night? Yes It's qiyam al-layl. al-layl It's prayer in the night, it's a good thing you should still do it If that's if that's your tartib Then you should do it that way Pray in the night, it's good it doesn't have to be that
2: Sleep's a necessity
0: For it to be called tahajjud <laughs> if you're going to call it tahajjud sleep is a necessity as far as I know Allahu alam but you know like qiyam al-layl is still very praiseworthy qiyam al-layl is very praiseworthy and really it's one category so this is just I mean, it's all meritorious praying in the night is all meritorious someone else had their hand up
2: yes To learn a discipline
0: and that's still I think going on in many disciplines that are in religious in um, yeah. different places in the world yeah they learn it's like an apprenticeship Yeah. right and they it's like a boarding school yeah yeah and I mean I, I mean, all I would say is that one should not uh, be negligent or turn their turn their eyes away from the the dangers in that there are benefits in that but there are dangers in that and you see it in boarding schools there's always uh controversies around boarding schools right this happened and that happened and oversight and so on and so forth some people have really good I, i know one person she said her father was influenced by british you know colonized their lands and stuff and he used to say nobody comes out disciplined unless they go to boarding school they go to boarding school, they learn their discipline. You do this at this time, this at this time, this at this time. They get everything in order. It takes a lot of trust. I, myself, don't have that kind of trust. I don't have enough trust to let my kids go into another room with the door closed. That's the world I live in because we get people's cases all the time and stuff. No, I don't even have that kind of trust. I don't have the trust for sleepovers you wanna spend the night alhamdulillah my kids aren't old enough yet. I don't have to argue with them about it. It's coming. Eventually it's coming. I wanna spend the night at my cousin's house. Nope. (laughs) I'm extreme. Are there people that I might consider like sending my son with to live with? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I think another problem is that we have uh, a lot of different culture now. It kind of takes a level of cultural uh, congruence. You know, like they have to kind of do things the way you do things. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of disruption. Uh, yeah. I was
1: just going to elaborate on that. Is this something that's like, okay, you could send somebody temporarily somewhere to learn from, or they're actually being raised by another family? Because what does
2: that also
0: Yeah I mean it's all the, the Arabs in the time Of the Prophet I them The children would go right Like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was with Hanimah uh, Saadiyya. Like they, they knew That was their standard Up to like 4, 5, 6 years old They would go So A lot of things are cultural too right Like the way we interpret things Has a lot to do with culture I think I mentioned before this study That we read when I was in college about child abuse and uh, I shouldn't call it child abuse let's say physical means of disciplining children and they talk to kids that were raised in Korea and Korean kids who were raised in America and their parents are using the same methods right and when they talk to the kids in Korea their understanding of it was it's a sign that our parents love us and care for us that they're physically uh, very strict on us and the ones that they asked in America Said the opposite. So there's a level of uh, you know, like things are things are understood sometimes in that way. Not that everything is subjective. Not everything is subjective, but I, you know, Allahu Don't jump into. It. Don't be like I heard this, and then like sometimes we do that. We get excited. I heard this beautiful hadith. I'm sending my kid to. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Mauritius. <laughs> And they're going to be raised by this family that I found on Facebook.
1: <laughs> we had
0: one mutual friend with some random guy in Bangladesh. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Anyone else? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so when
1: you were talking earlier about the pumpkin spice with the white pop of monkey, say you're in a gathering and and also the public and private you know, issues. Say you're in a gathering with friends or you whatever, know, and you see people doing like, let's say a baby for example, mm. Say you see this, and yeah, you option out on nicotine, but you do want to speak up on this issue. How do you do that with grace? I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: it's hard to say. I mean, it's like I said before, it's, it's hard to say. Each situation is different. And you know, the, you know the details of all the figures that are involved. There's some people you can talk to them straight, there's some people you can't, there's some people you can give them advice, there's other people you can't. It's hard to say, you know. Um, There's a difference if, for example, you know they do those kind of things and you go around it versus if they know that you're not about that kind of thing and that's not the expectation and then they bring it around you. Like each, you know, each thing is different. Um. Yeah,
1: it's hard to say. Yeah. And that is difficult for me to see or a person's experience just because they believe that all the friends to Yeah.
0: I mean, look, we have a right to decide what we want to be around, we don't necessarily always have a right to force that on other people. So But they also don't have a right to force it on us So like if it's been made clear to them That I don't want to be around this kind of stuff And they want to do it anyways And you tell them like Hey man I thought we already talked about this Whatever And they're like Oh They ostracize you How that? They ostracize you It's okay um, I mean I just In general I don't think we should be rude In general I think we should try to be polite. We should try to make sure people understand that we care about them. That's why we're saying anything in the first place and so on and so forth without being patronizing. But every situation is different. There's cultures, there's situations, there's people where like it's okay to be a little bit <laughs> rough. You know? <laughs> you be like, hey man, I thought I already told you you need to get that out of my face right now. You know, like sometimes there's the people you can talk to them like that and it's okay and they'll understand it. Whereas if you tell them, Oh brother you know like I know you've been going through a lot and it probably helps you relieve stress <laughs> you start going into all this stuff like it's not gonna work you know <laughs> So each case is different long island. Long island. And don't be like as long as here's a I'll, I'll give you another principle as long as you didn't do something wrong don't be afraid to make a mistake okay so like, as long as you didn't do something wrong, don't be afraid to make a mistake. If I'm trying to, if I'm not being rude, if I'm not being abrasive, if I'm not being disrespectful, if I'm not doing all of these things, and I try to share something with someone and they take it the wrong way and they get upset, okay. Like, this is how we learn. Nobody, nobody like learns how to handle all these things by going through nothing. All these people, when we look at the Sahaba, we look at the prophets Again, they lived in a society where people spent a lot of time with each other. So, like, the Prophet grows up in the lap of Abu Talib. He grows up in the lap of Abu Muttalib, who's like, the greatest man of his time. So he's from the age of five years old, six years old, he's seeing different things. He's seeing conflicts. He's seeing discussions. He's seeing... Like, he's learning all of these things. We don't usually have that. Like, we go up, we go to school. Maybe we make some mistakes in school. We learn that stuff. Maybe we don't. Maybe we're kind of sheltered. We don't deal with people, whatever. In our home, our homes are, like, very insulated. We don't, you know... Don't have all those opportunities. So sometimes it's later in life we're learning these things. Um, it reminds me of a rap song, actually. What did you say? <laughs> it's a really good line. I think about it sometimes. I'm like, man. Something along the lines of like getting getting into arguments with people on purpose to test his poise, right? Like. <laughs> like I'm uncomfortable with this situation and I'm going to do it anyways because I want to like I want I want to deal with that discomfort a little bit you know like I'll, I always think of RPGs like the role playing games or like <laughs> you think back in the days like you know like Link if you want Link to level up Link Link has to get experience points <laughs> you, know? like, you get more experience points you level up you level up you level up same life is very similar like there's you can't escape experience you just can't i mean that's why all all professions that really do really heavy duty things have experience as part of their training medicine has it therapy has it counseling has it you know all types of like trades if you're going to be an apprentice you're going to you have to go there and you have to do the work right relationships are very similar like we have to do the work. We have to get into it. We learn things through that. Sometimes it, it's better, obviously, if we do that earlier because this, as we get older, the stakes get higher and higher. That's the, that's the challenging part. So we have to figure out how can we do it in ways that are... Maybe we can put ourselves in situations that are less... The stakes are lower, but we get a chance to learn something. You know, And I'm intentionally going to put myself in that situation. Um, that's why jujitsu is so great. You're like, what? Yeah. jiu-jitsu is so great because when you spar you can spar at full strength whereas like in striking arts you can't you can't really spar in the same way because if you're sparring in full strength you're gonna hurt someone or you might hurt yourself or it's gonna end (laughs) right but in grappling arts you can spar at full strength so you really like you get to really test it and it's not just like you learn this technique and you don't get to know what it does. You get to really try it. In life too, we have, to, we have to like spar a little bit. Put ourselves in situations that we have to deal with them. When I was an imam, I really felt that. It was really like that. Because like every single day I went to work, there were a lot of things I didn't want to do. <laughs> now I'm a little bit older now and like it's not the same. My community's. You know, different. There's still a lot of things I have to do every day that I don't want to do, but especially then when I was like a new graduate and I was a new imam and I I was a big community and stuff. Every single day there's stuff like, man, I really don't want to do this. Bismillah, <laughs> get the, pick up the phone and call it or like talk to uncle and do this or whatever it might be that I really don't want to do. You know, That's how we learn these things. Yes, sir.
1: What if a child is
0: telling you about abuse youth Well, first and foremost, you should know the law. So if you're a youth group leader, if you're an imam, if you're a teacher, if you're a counselor, uh, Fatima can add if, if you need it. I think doctors, too. There's a lot of people who are mandated reporters, meaning if the child tells you about the abuse, you have to report it by law. Uh, outside of that, uh, it's really tricky, but because then you have to talk to people who are mandated reporters. <laughs> so you, basically, you're gonna have to talk to people who are report mandated reporters too to get advice. And but you shouldn't ignore it. Yeah.
2: I'm mandated. Because the people that are on the other line basically takes your report and talk to you and see if that's something that it's worth to for them to pursue or not. And it I don't see it will hurt at all because they don't go really it doesn't they don't go unless it's worth it. So if you are in doubt it's better to say to to call and and if it's something wrong then it will it will has to stop because Nagisla used instead. So you hear of something that is wrong and the child is the children usually don't really say unless it's true. They don't just come up and say you know, this is, and even if they say something that is, um, that it, it's not true, it's not going to be substantial. Um, child abuse is something that affects generations, not just one person. And actually, now October is
0: child mm. abuse. To a violence. violence
2: awareness month. You know, and we gotta say no to violence in different ways and, and every day um, by saying to ourselves first that we're not gonna be abused and we gotta stand up for ourselves because there are so many types of abuse and stop the an abuse when we when see
0: it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And if you need to, like, talk to someone who deals with that kind of stuff, then talk to them. Talk to therapists, talk to counselors, talk to people who not work not in social work. Role. Yeah. We are not organizations
2: that are Muslim or yeah. if you're in doubt and you. We usually are afraid that we're going to split the family, we're going to cause problems. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very good. Alright, shall we close? Pray, And I, I keep forgetting that we actually like I keep starting class and forgetting.